Welcome to the John Gets Games podcast. This episode has the audio from a recent impressions vlog where I covered four new games that I was able to play recently. Now I'll be covering them in order, and the first game is Barrage, the second game is In the Hull of the Mountain King, after that I will discuss Oceans, and I will finish things off with Railroad Evolution, which is an expansion to Railroad Revolution that came out several years ago. Now before we move on, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the support of the Jongus Games Patreon campaign. Now you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games, and I hope you would consider it if you enjoy listening to these vlogs in podcast form versus watching them on the YouTube channel. Now the final thing I'd like to say before we start talking about games is that if you'd like to leave any comments about this episode, that you click the link to the vlog that's in the description in this podcast and you leave comments on that video page. Alright, let's now start talking about games, and the first one for today is Barrage. Now this is a uh, Essen release from last year, so it's a 2019 game, and it was published by Cranio Creations. Um, now this is one that I have been hearing about for a while. In fact, I was actually able to play a demo of this one at Spiel 2018, so I had a uh, light idea of what's going on, but I kind of forgot everything about it, and then I kept hearing how great it was from various podcasts and uh, other YouTubers, and a friend of mine um, bought a copy. So I was able to play it. Now, uh, we played a three-player game, and what you're doing in Barrage is you are trying to compete to build uh, dams in order to harness hydroelectric power. Now, in order to actually get that power, the, you need to make a dam. Uh, water has to flow down and get stopped by that dam. You then need to build a conduit and a power station that are connected to that dam, and then you can essentially send the water through the conduit to the power station to create power, and power is going to give you victory points as well as some other things in the game. Now, uh, you are technically allowed to actually use other people's conduits, but you have to use your own power station and your own uh, dam. And the way all this works is in the middle of the big board, there are uh, these different rivers of water that are flowing down, and you are just trying to actually put all these pieces out with these wooden uh, pieces that go down onto the map. Now, uh, one interesting thing here is that the water flows down and gets caught by dams, and once you use them through a power station, well, it doesn't consume the water, the water's still flowing down downhill, so then it will leave that power station and potentially get caught by another dam, which is maybe yours or somebody else's, and if it's someone else's, then they can then use that water to send it through a conduit and into a power station to get power for it themselves as well. So that one little water piece can generate power in multiple ways by uh, popping through a few different dams. Now uh, I've kind of skipped over how we make all these things, and the base mechanic of this game is worker placement. Now uh, you start the game with 12 workers, and you will have those 12 workers throughout the entire game. It's a five-round game, and when it's your turn, you're going to activate one of many different worker placement spots, and they require a variety of different amounts of workers. Uh, so you might send one of your 12 out for an action, or you might send three of your 12 out for an action. So you have to uh, really weigh how much you want to get done and um, how efficient you are being with your workers. Now, it has a traditional worker placement idea where once one person puts workers on a spot, then no one else can go to that spot, um, but each one of the actions on the board can be activated twice. One, uh, the first time it's activated is cheaper than the second time. Usually the second time uh, either costs money or more workers or both. So you are definitely incentivized to try and get in early on the actions that you want to do. 
The problem is that you want to do all of the actions in this game. Uh, now, in order to actually put the pieces out onto the map, you actually have some worker placement spots on your own board, which nobody else can compete uh, with you for. So that's a little bit nice overall. And speaking of that, I've now bumped into one of the cooler mechanics in this game. Now, uh, for that, I'm not sure the actual name, but it's essentially this um, uh, work wheel. It's a, uh, a six spoke wheel with these six different uh, gaps in it. And whenever you create a piece of uh, your infrastructure out on the map, Map, whether that be a uh, dam or a conduit or a power station or extending a dam, you are going to take the uh, excavators or the cement mixers that you need to make that, and you actually put them into this little uh, pie-shaped part of your wheel, including a little action token which dictates what type of thing you just built, and then you rotate your wheel and that action to build that type of thing, and all of the resources to do it are then locked in there on that wheel. Now, once the wheel goes all the way around, then the uh, stuff kind of pours back out again and goes right back into your system. So it's really neat in that uh, in order to construct the stuff on the board, you're never consuming anything. You're just temporarily using your excavators and your cement mixers, and you'll get them back later on, but they're just consumed with the process, I suppose, of building that um, that dam piece. But um, of course, those things are built immediately. I guess maybe that's the amount of time it takes for all that equipment to make it back into your uh, storage yard or something like that. Uh, now, there are ways to get more cement mixers and more of those excavators, and there are lots of ways to actually spin the wheel faster to get access to that stuff. And this game is really all about trying to efficiently use that wheel to build the stuff that you need and keep things churning because if you have all of your stuff locked up in that wheel, then you kind of find yourself in a situation where it's hard to build stuff. Now, fortunately, there are a lot of other things that you can do. You can purchase contracts, which you can then uh, fulfill when you make energy, which will give you a variety of different bonuses like new excavators, uh, new uh, uh, cement mixers, money. It might give you wheel turns. There's just a bunch of different stuff, including points. And uh, realistically, you're just trying to make a lot of power. At the end of each one of the five rounds, you are going to, uh, the person who makes the most power is gonna get uh, bonus victory points, and then there are conditional victory points based off of how far you got down this power track, and I don't need to go into those specifics. But realistically, that is what you are doing in the game. Uh, you know, there's a worker placement spot to make a little bit more water. Uh, there is an advanced module that we played with that lets you get um, extra little uh, tokens that you can put into your work wheel that are even more powerful, which was certainly fun. And um, I have to say that I enjoyed my one play of this game so far. It was a three-player game, and I was surprised at how fast the teach was for this game. Uh, now, I've been hearing great things from pretty much everyone who's talking about Barrage, but I've also heard that it's a long game. So when it was taught to me, uh, by my friend Dave, who had never played it before either, he finished the rules teach, and uh, we were just kind of like, oh, that's it? That that seems really straightforward. <laughs> the worker placement makes sense. All of the spots there on the board, it just, it seems very straightforward. You go there, you spend the stuff, you get the stuff. Cool. I think um, the rules teach was no more than 30 minutes, which is not bad considering it was a first teach uh, and a first play for everyone around the table. Now, in terms of how long it took to play, well, I think it was about two and a half hours for the three of us, because even though each individual part of the game is quite straightforward, um, the ramifications of your decisions are not, <laughs> especially when it comes to the map. Uh, you know, this is a river that's uh, kind of pouring down in, in uh, straight lines, but the way the power stations are uh, positioned uh, compared to the conduits and the dams are not. So you might have a dam way up at the top of the map that uses a conduit and then sends the water way down here into a different stream to shunt the water into another out of dams. And that map is pretty... I don't know if intimidating is the right word, but it's uh, a little bit confusing to parse. And it wasn't until I was, you know, probably in the third or fourth round out of five before I felt like I had a pretty good grasp of 
what was going on with all of these different paths. So I think in future plays, I would be able to parse that a lot better overall. And I do hope to have an opportunity to play this one more in the future. Um, I wouldn't say it blew me away. Uh, a lot of people are, are screaming about how great this game is overall. And for me, it was maybe a little bit more famine than I enjoy in my Euros. And by that, I mean... There was a lot of restrictions. There was uh, it was hard to do the things that you wanted to do, and some people love that in Euro games, and I like that. But I also have a tendency to get frustrated sometimes when I'm sitting there and I'm like, "How do I do anything productive right now? I've got like four workers left in this round, and I just I spent all my mixers, I spent all my excavators, I don't have enough money to get more, and you know I want to do this, but I'm one off, and I want to do that, but I'm two off, and I just end up like sending a couple people to the uh, uh, the gimme spot, which just gives you a couple money, and I feel bad about it." Some people love that stuff. They love the pressure of the planning and all that. And I, like I said, I like it, but it can lead me to frustration. And I feel like in this one play of the game, there were definitely several moments where I started to just barely veer into the frustrated territory where I was having fun, but I was starting to be like, oh man, like I'm just, you know, upset with my previous decisions and also just my previous not really understanding about how some of the uh, flow patterns was going to work uh, and, you know, maybe at how uh, crucial and consequential certain decisions were going to be. And, you know, that will probably smooth out in the future if I play this game more, um, but I'm not sure how many more times it'll get played. Uh, my friend does have it, and so far it seems like everyone is enjoying it, including me. I did enjoy it, but this is probably not one that I'm going to be pushing to play. Um, if um, several people are playing it and they say, John, do you want to play Barrage? I will likely join in, but if I am in control of the situation, I will probably push to play something else like Underwater Cities or something like that that is a similar uh, time investment, um, also a worker placement game, but significantly different, just one that I think is a little bit more in my wheelhouse of enjoyment overall. So I think Barrage is a really cool game. I, I love that uh, spoke uh, management system where you kind of invest these things and you have to wait until they come back out again, and there's all of these different bonus ways to actually spin it around faster to get that stuff. That was a super cool idea. I'd love to see it in more games, um, but maybe this game was just a little bit too on the frustrating side for me to uh, be super exuberant about it. But either way, I think I've said that like four times already. Uh, Barrage was fun, and it's very possible that I will end up playing this one more in the future. Let's now move on to the second game I'll be discussing, and that one is In the Hole of the Mountain King. Now, this is a new published game for Burnt Island Games, and they did send me a press copy of this one. Uh, now, I've been able to play this one once. In fact, it was last night, so it's very fresh in my brain. Uh, this one plays up to five players, and I was able to play a four-player game of it. And thematically, what's going on in this game is you are all uh, groups of trolls. Uh, this mountain used to be your home. You were kicked out, I guess, by gnomes, and now the gnomes are all gone because the mountain crumbled on them, and so you are now trying to dig tunnels back into the mountain, you're trying to unearth the statues of your troll past, and push them as close to the center of the mountain as you can because you get points for them. Now, uh, realistically, what you're doing on each turn, uh, in large part, is you're deciding between two main decisions. You're either going to add trolls into your personal trolls moot, uh, which is essentially your gang of trolls, or you are going to be digging tunnels out into the mountain. Now, when you add trolls, you are going to be generating resources, and uh, this is a really cool mechanic that I thought I was going to love and I did really like when I was playing. 
Now, the way it works at the start of the game is you're going to have four of these trolls in your trolls moot. They're all next to each other at the bottom. And when you recruit another troll, you're going to put it down on top of that row, but in between two of them. So you're essentially starting to build up a pyramid of trolls. Now, whenever you add a new troll, that new troll is going to activate and generate a variety of resources that go directly on top of that troll card. And then every troll underneath them is in a pyramid shape is going to also generate resources. So when you recruit, you're going to make stuff and you leave the resources on those trolls. And then on future turns, instead of recruiting a troll, you can build out tunnels. And in order to do this, you spend a uh, varying sets of the same type of material to put all of these different polyomino shaped uh, tiles out onto the map, which are effectively you digging the tunnels into the mountain. So you are trying to uh, get resources on turns and then spend resources on turns to build tunnels. Those tunnels might unearth more resources that you can use to build more tunnels. Uh, they also might unearth those statues that I just talked about. And one of the resources in the game is carts that move these statues along the different tunnel sections. Now, in addition to that, you are also trying to make um, contiguous filled in areas of your tunnels, because if you do that and it matches the certain rectangle shape, you can get these big great halls that slap down and cover up your tunnels and they give you extra points. Uh, in particular, those great halls have an altar spot, which give you even more points if you're able to move a statue onto those spots. And you also can get these pedestals, which you can put statues on, which give you extra points if the colors match. So this game is really all about trying to uh, build out good networks of tunnels. Uh, you get points every time you build tunnels and the higher quality material that you use to make those tunnels, the more points you are going to get. So that is one of the decision points. Do you make lots of uh, cheap, crappy materials and not get that many points? Or do you dedicate yourself to try and get the best materials to make really awesome tunnels to give you lots of points? Now, the thing is, if you are going heavy on the, um, the hard-to-get materials, then you're probably doing less of other things. And there are a few different ways to get points in this game. Obviously, uh, great halls are good. Getting statues closer to the center of the mountain are also good. But also, in addition to all of that, you are going to be, each turn, having the possibility of casting spells. There are three of these that are always out, and every time a spell is cast uh, three times, it goes away and you get a new one. And they give you a wide variety of stuff that you can do. And also, when you are tunneling out of the mountain, you can bump into these workshop spots that let you put workshops down onto those spots that are next to your tunnels. And you can activate those to do a variety of different resource uh, changing actions. Now, I want to come back over to the trolls moot that I talked about a little bit before, because when you're spending resources, you either spend them from your trolls or from your standard uh, storage area. And that's important because when you add a new troll, only the trolls that are underneath the new troll and that have, don't have stuff on them will actually make stuff. So you are motivated to spend the stuff on your trolls before you get new trolls to make more stuff. And you're going to keep building up this pyramid of trolls. In fact, the game is going to end once two players have completed this pyramid, which means they put one at the very top on essentially the fourth level. And when you do that, it's going to activate every single one of your trolls underneath it because of the pyramid style of the game. So at the start of the game, things are kind of hard to do. And in fact, the first few uh, rounds around the table, I kind of had this feeling like I was disappointed in how little I was doing. And I was like, how are we ever going to get anything done? Um, I feel like, you know, I'm already doing my like second or third uh, recruit action and you're only going to ever do six of them in the entire game. But then once we got to the halfway point or the two thirds point, things really started to kick off. We were having enough resources to build tunnels that would give us more resources. We we're having a big enough pyramid that when you recruit a troll, you get lots of resources. And suddenly by the very end of the game, we were able to essentially fill in the overall mountain. Um, now it's important to note that 
that you're never allowed to uh, join your tunnel up with one of your opponents. Uh, you can meet up at a diagonal point, but not an orthogonal spot, which almost gave this a blockus type of feel, because in addition to trying to um, dig tunnels out to uh, get various bonuses and whatnot, you were also trying to essentially claim territory in the mountain, uh, kind of wall your opponents off so that they don't have good access to those good areas. Um, you don't necessarily get points for the amount of the mountain that you control, but the more area that your opponents can't get to, the more resources that you can freely get to that they are then restricted from. So all of these things are different competing things that you're trying to think about when you're playing the game. And uh, like I said, we played a four-player game of this one. And when the dust settled at the end, I uh, came in last, but just by a tiny bit. And I think we all really quite enjoyed it. Um, it seemed like when the game came to an end, we were all kind of fascinated at how we each got different amounts of points. Uh, for instance, for me, as I was kind of building up my Trolls Moon, which is this pyramid of trolls, I found myself leaning hard into making the best tunnels in the game. There's a uh, stone, then there's iron, and then there's heartstone, heartstone being the really good stuff. And I found myself essentially going through the whole game, building all of my tunnels with heartstone. Now that meant I made a lot of points with these tunnels. And in fact, when we got to the end of the game and we started doing the end game scoring, I had like 25, 30 points more than anyone else because I got so much in-game scoring. Now, because I was dedicating my time and effort towards that, I was pretty lackluster when it came to the uh, pedestals and the statues and all that, and I also didn't get a single great hall built throughout the whole game. So we started doing the end-game scoring, and people started uh, getting lots of points and kind of going beyond me, and I kind of caught up, and they went a little bit beyond me. Uh, one player we thought might actually win, uh, where they um, got about half of their points in end-game scoring. They were way behind when we started endgame scoring, and then uh, we got to the statues, and they've got like 50 points from the statues, which was just monstrous considering I think I got like 12 or <laughs> 15 or 16 or something like that. Um, so yeah, it was just really cool to see how close the scores were at the end, because honestly, I kind of felt like I was probably falling way back. Like, I'm not too surprised that I came in last place, but I was a little surprised that I was only about 15 points uh, back from the leader. And it's important to note that there was a crucial moment about three quarters of the way through the game, where on my next turn, I'd been building this thing up, I was going to be putting down a spot to put a pedestal and then put a statue on that pedestal right next to the center of the mountain. Uh, the, when you put a statue on a pedestal, it scores double points. This was going to be a massive scoring uh, a pedestal. And right before me, like literally the player to my right, they built out a tunnel piece, which blocked that possibility from me entirely. And I suddenly realized there was no other places to go on the other tiers for various other rules that I'm not going into. And that was a huge blow to me. So being one turn too slow in that respect uh, ended up costing me, I think, something like 12 or 14 points there. I ended up getting points for other things, but I did have uh, pedestals left over at the end of the game, which I would have had that out there on the map. So yeah, it's it's definitely interactive in in a sense of you're trying to uh, get to these spots in a good, uh, a quick fashion out on the map, but you're also trying to um, uh, whip together a little engine with your trolls. Obviously, my engine was all about making Hearthstone, and I did a pretty good job of it. I think uh, on a future play, I'm not going to say, oh, that was bad, you can't win by going heavy on Hearthstone. I think you probably can. You just have to maybe plan your mountain a little bit better. I accidentally walled off one of my statues instead of bringing it into play. And, you know, if I'd thought things through a little better, I could have gotten a great haul or two out, which would have certainly helped things as well. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I really quite enjoyed this one and everyone around the table did as well. Uh, there was a lot of uh, mirthful moments, you know, when um, big plays happened overall. I saw lots of smiles as we were playing and I think we were all satisfied when the game ended. Uh, so I am hoping to play this one more in the future. Um, I think a second time teaching it 
uh, versus this first time will go a little bit smoother. The teach wasn't hard, it's actually a relatively straightforward game, but there are a lot of bits. So just the setup alone took like, I don't know, like 10 or 15 minutes to put everything out, and then I started teaching. And the next time I play this game, which I think is I'm pretty certain it's going to happen. Um, I'm going to be able to set this one up way faster and teach it a lot faster. So yeah, that is in the Hall of the Mountain King. I am initially quite impressed, and I'm looking forward to more plays. All right, let's now move on to the third game I'll be talking about, and that one is Oceans. Now, this one was published by North Star Games, and they did send me a press copy of this game, and it is effectively a new take on Evolution. Now, Evolution is a game that came out back in like 2013, 2014 or so uh, from North Star Games, and it's a game that I really liked at first and ended up having a lot of frustrating uh, moments with. I actually did a full review of that game a long time ago, so you can definitely check that out if you are curious. Um, and um, in that game and in Oceans, you are trying to build out species which have various population sizes, and you will add these traits down onto the species which will uh, manipulate how defensive they are, how good they are at getting food, and food can turn into population, and all of that stuff. Now, when I went into playing Oceans, I was mildly apprehensive because of the frustrating times I had with Evolution, but I also knew that this was going to be a different game overall. It feels like it has the bones of Evolution, but a lot of different things going on. Um, in particular, thematically, you are now in the ocean, so all of the uh, species that you are making are ocean-based species. Now, the way this game works is when it is your turn, you are going to um, have the option of playing cards out to either one or two, depending on what part of the game it is and you can play a card into a new species to create that new species to add it into all the rest that you have or you can play a trait card down onto a species that already exists. Now when you make new species you actually have to decide where they are uh, positioning wise in front of you. You can put them between the species you have already or maybe on the right or the left in your area and that's important because there are a lot of adjacency direction based traits in this game. It might say you know uh, leech one uh, population from the species one to the right or one to the left. So that means you could have species in your area actually kind of um, attack your own species, or you could put it over to the side so it attacks the, um, the species over to the person that's over there on your left. So essentially, all the species make a big ring around the table of adjacencies. Now the next thing that you have to do is feed one of your species, and this is important because you might have two or five species in front of you, and you have to pick just one, and they then either forage or they try to attack. Now, one big change between oceans and evolution was that in evolution, if you wanted to attack another species, you had to have a specific carnivore trait, and there were a few of them in the deck, but not a lot. So in general, most of the species in evolution just took this kind of vegetation from a central pool. Now, that's not the case in oceans. Every single species in oceans can attack other species. Um, they all start with an attack of one, so it's not terribly impactful, but you could get other traits which make those attacks more impactful. Now, instead of attacking, you could just forage over on the reef. Now, that's a nice area over in the water. It's got all these different fish that you can take as little tokens and then put down into your area, and um, every time you put a token onto a species, that counts as more population. Now, um, if the reef is gone, then you can't actually forage, and in the middle of the table with these big cardboard uh, kind of holders, you have these two areas. So you have the reef, and then you have the ocean, and the ocean has three different areas. Now, you can't just go foraging in the ocean. The only way you can take those fish is by doing a migrate action. So that's instead of actually evolving, you just migrate some fish from the ocean over into the reef so that you can then feed on them. Or you can uh, put down traits that let you get stuff from the ocean when other things happen. So you might put a trait down that says, 
um, when a, uh, a, a certain foraging happens of a certain size to the right, then this one is going to kind of work off of that and then go to the ocean to get some bonus uh, food, even though it might not actually be your turn. So this game is all about building up combos with your species in front of you, uh, where you might get a bunch of um, food when it's not even your turn based off of the actions of the species around you. And you could also set yourself up to make like a feeder species in front of you that one of your other species just goes and eats. Now you get points for the population on your species, so it's definitely better to attack other people's species. And uh, once you've finished your feeding of one of your species, you then age all of the species in front of you, which means you take a single population from each of them and you put them behind your little scoring screen and you get one point for every uh, fish token that's behind that screen at the end of the game. So you're certainly motivated to try and go wide in this game because obviously if you have two species, then you age and you put two back there and you just got two points. Whereas if you have five species and you age all five of them, then that's five points you just got. However, you only fed one of those five, so you have to make sure to have good symbiotic style abilities on the other ones to get food in other ways instead of just activating them to get food. Or of course, you could just activate this species on this turn to get a bunch of food in a way. And next time around, you activate another species while that other one just kind of works through the population that they have. Now, uh, we were able to play a four player game of this one and overall it went down very well. I think we all had a really uh, fun time, uh, especially seeing how all of these different combos happened. Um, there are lots of times where when you're playing this game, somebody else does something and suddenly you are doing things over here, which does things over there. You do lots of things when it's not your turn if you were able to build out your species well. Now, when uh, it came to how this game actually played, I ended up, I believe, going essentially the whole game with just three species in front of myself, and all of my opponents ended up getting more than that. They got four or five. Uh, unfortunately, I came last, and I think that's probably because I was a little bit too conservative. I probably should have tried to actually get another species or two out, uh, but instead I just really heavily invested in one of my species, and I was able to uh, make it a monster. It foraged really well, and at this point, I need to talk about a big new thing about oceans versus evolution, which are the deep cards. Now, you don't have to play with these every time you play, but we certainly did. And these cards are really powerful, uh, completely unique effects in this specific deck of deep cards. So the main draw deck has the same set of 12 different traits. You draw from that one and you put things out. But once a certain point in the game is reached, you can start to actually evolve these deep cards onto your species, which have pretty gigantic effects. Uh, so I was able to use a couple of these on one species to um, more than double the amount of population it was able to get each round. Um, it also had a couple other nice things going on. I can't remember the specifics. I played this game uh, a couple weeks ago, um, but I really enjoyed building out this big monster across the table. Somebody used a deep card to make a gigantic attacking species that was able to do a whole bunch of damage. Um, you know, there's another species over there that had tentacles, which let it attack uh, or feed two different times, so it could attack a couple different things. And this game was just so interactive that I almost didn't mind that we were all just attacking each other constantly. Normally, I don't really like that in games, and from what I remember, that was a uh, part of the problem that I had with Evolution, the original game, was that those carnivores could really mess up your day when they attack your different species. But you might not draw into carnivores, and someone might have a carnivore that you just can't really check overall. Well, in Oceans, it just gives everyone knives, essentially. It just says every single species can always attack. That's always an option on the table. So you just don't feel as bad when attacks maybe come your way or go somewhere else, because because 
It's just kind of constantly happening. Um, you don't have to attack. You can, of course, go to the reef, but that reef does tend to dry up quite a bit unless you obviously make a foraging strategy, which is something I tried to pull off um, without a huge amount of success overall. So I, I really enjoyed the changes that Oceans brought to the evolution uh, set. I, I, I really liked the different combos of things that we were doing. It seemed like we were doing a lot more stuff when it was not our turn. And also, it seemed less punitive overall, even though there was more attacking going on um, in evolution, it seemed like there was a lot of extinction that happened, which thematically makes a lot of sense, I suppose, for a evolution-themed game, but it could be really frustrating to make a species and invest a couple traits, and then they get wiped out. But um, in evolution, it seemed like the extinctions happened a lot less often. Um, it seemed like even though you can attack each other a lot, the way things actually go extinct is a little bit more in your favor. Like you kind of always have the ability to build back up again. You know, if one of your species has all of its population go away, then it doesn't go extinct immediately. On your next turn, you then have it go extinct after feeding. So you could then feed that species so that it pops back up again before it actually goes away. And I, I really like that. So in some senses, Oceans is a lot more aggressive, but on other ways, it almost has like friendly mitts, like like the <laughs> there's a lot more punches, but the punches have mitts over them or something like that for a uh, analogy. So uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Oceans. I'm looking forward to playing this one more. Uh, I've only played it the one time. It was a couple weeks ago. I haven't had many opportunities to play games over the last couple weeks, and it almost got played last night. Uh, I am going to try to play this one again in the near future while it's still fresh in my brain. Um, and also because it just seemed like everyone really enjoyed it. Uh, several of the people who I played with, or I guess a couple of the people, had played Evolution years ago over Overall, and it seems like we all enjoyed this iteration better. It just seemed like it flowed better overall. The um, the vastly powerful deep cards were just fun, allowing you to build these uh, species that were significantly more interesting than the species that you could build in Evolution. And yeah, overall, I've been really impressed with Oceans, and I'm looking forward to seeing more plays of it on the table. Okay, it's now time for the final game I'll be talking about today, and that one is Railroad Revolution with the Railroad Evolution expansion. Uh, try to say that one three times fast. Uh, so Railroad Revolution came out back in 2016, and the Railroad Evolution expansion just released at Spiel a few months ago. Uh, now let's start by talking briefly about Revolution, the first version. Uh, now this is a game that came out in 2016, and I remember playing it at Board Game Geek Con in 2016, and it completely blew me away. I was so excited while playing playing it, I remember somebody came over and asked us, you know, hey, what do you think of the game so far? And all four of us just looked at them with these crazy smiles on our face. We're just like, oh my gosh, this game is so much fun. And I think the reason for that is because this is a Euro game where it has this design um, ethic of, yeah, sure, why not? Um, oh, have you run out of money? Cool. Take an action to just give you like $1,200. Oh, cool. You need to uh, build this over there? Cool. Just do that action to do it. Uh, this game has an action selection uh, mechanism where you have these workers that are in different colors, and when it's your turn, you just take a worker and you select one of the four actions in front of you, and it doesn't matter if you've activated that spot before. Uh, once you use all of your workers, you can for free wipe them all off your board and then continue taking actions. So there are no restrictions here. Um, it doesn't matter that another person went to that action right before you because you can just do that fine. Um, now, some people don't like that. Some people like a lot more interaction in their games, and in this game, what you are doing is you are uh, building out train stations on this map of America 
you are building out a railroad track to try and connect up to give you access to build more train stations. You are also building out a uh, telegraph network across America. And finally, there is this trade action that just dumps cash on top of you. It gives you so much money. Um, so there is reasons to do things before your opponents. I don't want to say it's completely multiplayer solitaire. If you are the first person to go to a telegraph spot, then you get a pretty sizable bonus. If you're the first person to build a train station on a specific town, then you get a pretty sizable bonus. So you do need to pay attention to what your opponents are doing. But the problem with Railroad Revolution came in with that telegraph area. Now, I'm not going to go into my specifics of this one. I actually did a uh, rather in-depth review of Railroad Revolution a few years ago where I explained why I love the game and why I felt like it was broken. Um, I am not alone. There are lots of uh, forum threads on BoardGameGeekCon of other people uh, believing that there was a dominant, very boring, and impossible-to-stop uh, strategy of just going really hard on the uh, telegraph track. And I don't really want to talk about the specifics of that here. I just want to say that I stopped playing Railroad Revolution because... It just seemed like it was an amazing game with a fatal flaw. Now, there were some variants that were published to try and help things out, but they weren't good enough for me. So I kept this one on my shelf for years, hoping an expansion would come along to fix this, because I loved this game so much, and I felt like it deserved to be fixed, to have that fatal flaw be removed. And along comes Railroad Evolution, and from what I hear about it before I start playing it, it does sound very promising. It actually completely replaces the old map, which changes a bunch of the tracks, and it definitely changes the, um, the telegraph area. And I ended up deciding to buy a copy of this one actually without doing a lot of uh, research on it. But either way, it arrived recently and I've now been able to play this one twice. And I can safely say that this is one of the best 2019 gaming experiences that I've had so far. Um, it has completely blown me away, which doesn't super surprise me considering I loved the original so much, but I can very happily say that this expansion completely fixes that fatal flaw. Uh, at least I've only played this game twice. Maybe there's another flaw that I haven't seen, but from what I have seen so far, Railroad Evolution is the way the game always should have been. Now, it does a few different things. Um, there is that trade action that just dumps cash on top of you. Well, now when you do that action, you also get these little station uh, uh, wagons uh, that you can attach to the trains that you already have. I know I haven't talked about these specifics, but essentially they let you customize these trains that you have in front of you, which is a new thing that you can consider. But the big impact of the expansion is that in the original game, there were these three tracks on the board that you can move your advancement tokens up. And one track gave you points for the telegraph area. Another track gave you points for your uh, stations. And the third track gave you points for your uh, railroad area. I believe that's how it worked. So as you got advancement bonuses from a variety of different areas, you would invest in these tracks, which meant you were pitching holding yourself on those tracks. So you went really hard on the stations or the railroad track, and that meant you need to keep building more stations and railroad, which means maybe you ignore the telegraph. Or maybe you go heavy on telegraph and ignore the other two parts of the game, do really well, even though you had a really boring time. So in the expansion, now there's one track, and as you go up that track, you take these enhancement uh, uh, tokens with a wide variety of scoring conditions on them, and you put them down into your own personal area, and then you can advance them on your own little scoring track to increase your multipliers. So that means instead of having these stagnant tracks, which give you points for doing the same thing over and over again, you now have this vibrant, dynamic enhancement system where you, are at the end of the game, will get points for doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and getting a lot of points for doing something else, and it essentially just gives you points for doing stuff. Another big problem I had with the original game was, again, if you went heavy on the uh, telegraph, you were not incentivized to really build any stations, which seemed kind of like the opposite of what you would expect in a train game. So now in this expansion, 
in order to get points for those telegraphs, they just give you conditional points off of the train stations you have out on the map. So instead of being two separate divergent strategies, they are now tied together. So as you build out stations, you now feel motivated to build out telegraph spots to cash in the points for the stations that you've already built, and vice versa. If you go um, uh, plunk down on a few telegraph spots to get a bunch of shares and get some bonuses, now you're like, well, I'm going to get 10 points at the end of the game for every station I have in the four area, so I think I should build a station in the four area. And so it just has this wonderful cyclical benefit structure, which works so well. Um, now, it's probably obvious <laughs> that I am a little maybe even over-exuberant about this one. I did play it for a second time last night. Uh, both of the plays with Railroad Evolution have been three players, but I think it'd be fine with two players and four players based off of what I've seen. And I love this game with the expansion. I truly feel like it has fixed it. I, I feel like this has catapulted uh, Railroad Revolution right back up into my top 10, maybe top five, maybe top three games. I just love this design uh, ethic of just give you stuff. Like I love feast type Euro games where you're not uh, desperately trying to piece things together with this, um, you know, intricate set of like, I get this and then it gets me that. So I just barely do this plan. No, it's just like, it hits you over the head with money. It hits you over the head with options and you're trying to pick and choose which options are going to be best. And I love that in games. Uh, Maracaibo is a recent game that also does something similar there. And I just enjoy the railroad evolution thing so much. Uh, honestly, the biggest problem that I have with the expansion is that it's not easy to get right now. Uh, you can buy it, I guess, direct from the publisher, but of course you need to own the original version. And I feel like I feel like this game deserves a second edition where a standalone uh, box of this one comes out that you can just buy Railroad Evolution all there together because this is what that game should have been. And I think it's a shame that Almost no one's talking about it from what I can tell. I've only cared because I've been looking forward to an expansion and here one came. And I feel like this, if it had been just Railroad Evolution, a standalone game, um, it would very likely be, you know, the best standalone game that came out in 2019. As it stands, it's one of the best uh, 2019 gaming experiences that I've had. And uh, I, if I make a top 10 list, this one might actually end up being right at the very top. Um, I, I really have loved Maracaibo a lot, but at this point, uh, my enthusiasm for playing uh, games is definitely shifted over to Railroad Evolution. I'm looking forward to lots more plays. I'm so excited that this exists, and I hope lots of other people have the chance to try it out, even though it's a bit of a money investment to have to get to the original game and get the expansion, but it is so worth it if you enjoy these feast-style Euro games that play relatively quickly. Uh, last night, I taught the game, and we played this full three-player game um, in under two hours, which is just awesome to see as well, so it's right there in the medium range, and I think I need to stop talking about the game. Uh, obviously, I am uh, glowing about it overall. I'm going to be uh, hopefully playing this game many, many, many more times into the future. Uh, it's certainly going to see the table a lot, and I'm so happy that the Railroad Evolution expansion exists. Well, that's going to bring me to the end of this vlog. Um, I have to say, it's quite fun when I've enjoyed all of the games. Um, you know, I really liked Barrage all the way over to just being uh, over the moon about Railroad Evolution. So it's fun to talk about games that I really like and uh, to also not harp on problems because I didn't really see problems with the games that I've been playing recently, which is awesome. I mean, obviously, these are initial impressions. They are not in-depth reviews overall. Uh, but yeah, there is some really great gaming that I've been doing recently, and I am looking forward to playing all four of these games more in the future, uh, as well, of course, as the big mountain of other new games that I haven't quite got to yet, uh, but I'm sure I will be getting to in the next few weeks for the next one of these Impressions Vlogs. Well, I think that's going to bring this podcast to an end. Remember, if you have any comments about anything that I've said here, uh, then you can leave those on the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. Thanks for listening.